Psst, before you stick this in your ears, know this. The content presented in this show is designed for a mature audience with a functioning sense of humor. If you are not an adult, are easily offended, or take life too seriously, this is not the show for you. For everyone else... Hello, let's go for a ride. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a giant, a mouse, and two chimps on a Davenport. One day, the first chimp said to the other, We should make people. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. Today, for episode number 16, we have a special guest in the studio, all the way from south of the border down in West Virginia, Rich Bottles Jr. And uh, Rich is a prolific writer. He has some short stories that he's worked on. He has, what, three novels published now? Yes, three novels. That's fantastic. It takes about a year for me to write a novel. Uh, it's actually been two years since I've finished the last one. So the one that I'm working on has to do with the Amish. And uh, okay. I noticed, even though I have official college textbook, everything you should know about the Amish, there's actually <laughs> a, a lot more. You come across things that you want to get into and research more, and so you end up stopping for a while until you have time to finish your research and you can continue on. Yeah. Yeah, I've been writing for a long time, but it took me until I was almost 50 years old before I finally said, I'm going to finally write the novel. Yeah. Um, even back in high school, I writing with the school newspaper, mm-hmm. and I went to college to learn broadcast journalism. I worked uh, for some newspapers in Pennsylvania for a while. I'm from Harmony, Zillianopel area in Butler County. Okay. And went to graduated Seneca Valley High School in 1980, if uh, any of my classmates are listening. And uh, after college, I came back to Pennsylvania and I worked for the News Weekly and the Cranberry Eagle. Okay. And I was also working for the Butler Eagle, the daily paper out of Butler County for a while. And in uh, 91, I got a job at the Swickley Herald. And after that, I found a government job that actually paid living wages. And uh, I took that. And I, <laughs> That's always important. I moved to West Virginia, and that's uh, where I still am. I currently live in Fairmont, West Virginia. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a big setting for your books now. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things in West Virginia. As you walk around, you drive around, look at the different things, and you just get inspired to write some strange stories. I don't yeah. know if that's because you're in West Virginia or not. <laughs> so that's one question I had for you. I'm not going to ask you the question because I hate the question, mm-hmm. which is, you know, where do you get your ideas? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a double-edged sword whenever you hear that question. Either they're saying to you, hey, you have some great ideas. Where do you get them because I want to be a writer? Or it's the other side of, hey, your stuff's a little weird. Where do you get that stuff? So I'm not going to ask you that question, but 
I did want to ask. That's too bad because I would have an answer. But well, go ahead. Well, hey, if I'm just want, joking. If you want to answer <laughs> the question, that's fine. Well, actually, um, I'd always wanted to write a book. Like I said, I've been writing since high school. And uh-huh. like I said, I'm 50. So I lived a lot of my life before the internet. And back then, you knew that. If you spend a lot of time trying to write a novel, it might be for naught because the major publishers, they have their main writers and they just weren't going to take chances on new writers. So yeah. there's never really a point in trying to write anything back before the internet. But thanks to the internet and independent publishing and places like CreateSpace where you can possibly publish something on your own if you have the technical knowledge and stuff, that's really opened it up and uh, got the idea that, hey, maybe now I can write something that... Even though I have a lot of fun writing, it still seems pointless if nobody else is going to read it and I can't share it with somebody. Right. So the internet has really changed that. And uh, how I got the original idea for Lumberjack, which was my first novel, mm-hmm. is that uh, I took the family to a steam engine ride. It was in Cass, Cass, West Virginia. It's called the Cass Scenic Railway. And we all went on the steam engine, and you go up a second largest mountain in West Virginia. I think it's called Bald Knob. Mm-hmm. At the very top of the mountain, there's a caboose. And it's actually possible to rent that caboose as a cabin. So if you wanted to camp up there, you'd take the train up to the top, and you'd have all your luggage and stuff, and you get off the train while the rest of the people get off and are just looking around at no the scenery. Yet. And you can actually go into the caboose and set up camp for the evening. And when the train goes back down the mountain, Mm -hmm. you're basically left up there. Oh, wow. I started thinking, you're stranded up there. You can't even use your cell phone up there. Oh, my. And it's 11 miles up the hill. So (laughs) It's a little bit of a hike. If you were to have a medical emergency or something, Uh you're kind of screwed because there's no way to get in contact with anybody. Yeah. And that's when I just started thinking, what if, well, what if some... Um, co-ed decided to camp up there and they were attacked by lumberjacks and uh, that's how i got the idea for lumberjack when you're when you're writing and this is something that i i've had i think everybody that's written you're writing and, and all of a sudden you have a character that you're writing that surprises you or does something that you're like whoa wait a minute what's this guy doing mm-hmm. um and, and i noticed that in your stories obviously when when that happens you embrace that and you kind of go with it um which i think is uh, is interesting because i know a couple of writers that have written some characters that are darker characters and they're like i had to put it down and walk away because i just can't figure out where this is coming from when you find yourself um writing a darker character and, and it's obviously something that it's not you it's coming from somewhere what advice do you have, I guess, for a writer that is writing a darker character and is disturbed by the actions of that character? I think if you're writing to the point where you're surprised by the events or surprised by what the character is doing, that's when it uh, becomes the most exciting part of writing is yes. to really explore what can I do with this, where can I go with this, and uh, you just don't hold back. You just uh, take it where it's going to lead, and hopefully uh, it all ends up it turns out well in the end like you had intended yeah you've written a lot of dark characters so where do you where do you think that that comes from i don't know if does mean do you think that it comes from our other side or the deep dark part of ourselves or do you think it's from somewhere else in the universe yeah you almost hate to say that it's coming from you because you you certainly don't want to identify with uh, the type of characters that i write (laughs) right so i guess it just has to do with uh letting your imagination go because uh my day job is I work in the IT. I'm a configuration management 
do mostly all day is read technical documents and edit them and write them. And that's very dry. Yeah. I mean, you can get all the sleep you can in an evening and you can go to work <laughs> and still fall asleep like trying to read this stuff. I understand. So when I'm writing stuff like that and editing, that's... Uh, that's helped me a lot too to start writing fiction because you just want to get away from that mm -hmm. and so when you start writing after reading and writing that stuff all day that's when your brain really lights up and you get real imaginative and can come up with some really bizarre situations yeah and there's certainly enough fodder out there in the headlines and in the news mm -hmm. today but i personally i've had people ask me you know well, why do you write you know this dark story or why do you write this dark character and, and i think that it's interesting because i think we're all as humans fascinated with the dark and fascinated with the macabre it's not necessarily something that we want to play with but that's where the excitement and the drama is mm -hmm. you know because it's not something you experience every day at facebook you get exposed to a lot of strange stories that other people post and and then you can sometimes get an idea off of that for instance uh anthology from Strange House Books, uh, which Kevin Strange uh, is a, uh, he runs Strange House Books. One of his anthologies was called Zombie Zombie Brain Bang. And uh, I wanted to submit a story for that and I was trying to think for a while. Uh, I'm from uh, the area where Night of the Living Dead was filmed, so you'd mm -hmm. think I could come up with a decent zombie <laughs> story. But uh, somebody on Facebook posted something. It was about this woman called uh, Felicity Marmaduke, which sounds a little strange. <laughs> yeah. And the, the story itself was about this woman that supposedly worked at a morgue, and she had, I guess, a dead body came in, a male, and she found that it was aroused, and uh, she <laughs> attempted to have sex with this dead body. But the story went on that she actually got pregnant, and uh, she was wanting child support from the dead dead bodies of her family. <laughs> So uh, that's it. Right there is my idea for a zombie zombie brain bang. I'll just uh, that's relate amazing. that story on and take it from there. Yeah. It turned out that that was from one of those uh, parody websites or satire. Yeah. So, uh, is this from The Onion or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Anthology is going to be coming out soon. Um, uh, let me try to find the name of it because it's, it's like a, a strange name. Oh, it's... Uh, it's called Surreal Grotesque, and it's something that Jerry Maddox, he runs um, an internet magazine for bizarro fiction called mm -hmm. Vertigo Schisms. Okay. And he had actually contacted me and asked me, um, can I write a book for this latest anthology that he was doing called Surreal Grotesque? And uh, this is the first time that a publisher actually contacted me and said, can you submit something? Oh, that's cool. And... Uh, I was inspired by a news story in this case where, I don't know if you remember a, a few years back, but the, the mayor of New York on on uh, Groundhog Day, he held up the groundhog and it bit him. Oh yeah, I do remember that. And uh, I remember the, that story and it's always stuck with me. I always wanted to, to write something about the aftermath of that and, mm -hmm. uh, and of course I'll go back to zombies again and it turned out that uh, once you're bitten by the groundhog you turn into a zombie. And, Nice. But that's another example of when you see something strange in the news or on Facebook that it yeah. can inspire you to, to write something about it. And I think that that's a great, actually, that's that's a very long answer to the question. I think that's actually probably the best answer to that question I've ever heard, where you get your ideas. I think we're all exposed to them. I think that's what makes the difference between a writer and a non-writer is a writer's 
ears are always perked up and you're always looking at things and thinking of things in a different way whereas most people just like oh that's a that's a neat little story and they let it go by yeah if the story of it itself doesn't end the way you want it to you you have the ability to make it end the way you want to <laughs> exactly you get that artistic license to change it so tell me a little bit about i started reading uh i guess i I'm reading these out of sequence i started reading uh you sent me uh very kindly three of your books you get lumberjacked the Manacled and Hellhole, West Virginia, and I was just—I I was so compelled by the title and uh, and the, the cover of the book, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, that I said, "You know what? I got to read this one first. Um, so, tell me a little bit about your process of, of writing this. I mean, do you okay. do you outline? Do you just oh, yeah. go full at it, or? Well, that was another thing that I didn't want to start writing novels also until I found a way to write that I thought would be original or different because I didn't want to just fade fade into the everything else that's out there since now there is a lot of stuff out there yes so I was trying to find an original way to write either through language or through plot structure and I, I developed a plot structure with Lumberjack that I stuck with and it's basically each of my novels is broken down into five parts so you could call them chapters but they're actually so long that you'd have to call them almost parts. And I switched back and forth in time according to the chapter. Yeah, I did like that. I picked up on that. The first chapter is basically introducing the story and the characters. In the second chapter, what I'll do is I'll go back and tell a different story and it won't really seem to relate to the first part. And then in the third, I'll go back into the present time, but I may use different characters and a different storyline. In the fourth, I actually jump ahead and tell something that happened in the future. Okay. And then the fifth part is where everything should blend and come together and uh, the reader thinks, oh, so that's why he wrote it that way. The one you're reading now, Hellhole, West Virginia, I think I did that method so well that some people think there's actually five short stories there. Yeah. Because I've gotten some reviews saying I didn't like all the stories in the book and <laughs> things like that. And, and I don't know if they actually finish the thing to understand that it's not five different stories they all relate to each other yeah they're all tied together in mm -hmm. the end that's an interesting technique because i think that well tarantino's known for doing that mm -hmm. and magnolia i don't know if you've seen magnolia yes, I have. I'm, a, I'm a big movie guy too so i take a lot of inspiration not only from the stuff that i read but the better movies that i watch and hellhole is actually my tribute to David Lynch, which I'm sure you're I'm, a movie I'm fan. A, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar and with how, Lynch. Uh, on, uh, which is the Lost Highway, uh -huh. where he goes and jumps back and changes Belt who the character Getty. is and things like that. And that's what I, I wanted. I love that so much that I wanted to have something like that in, in one of my books. And that's what I tried to do with Hellhole. Yeah, Craig and I um, had talked about that because he, we, we both watched it and he rewatched it, I guess, uh, probably a month or two mm -hmm. ago. And and the second time you watch it, you pick up on it. There's probably been about five or six years between the time I first watched it and watched it again. And like a lot of Lynch things, the first time I watched it, it completely confused me. Mm -hmm. But the second time through, I kind of see where he's going with things. So let me ask you this. Do these tie together? Oh, do you no. reuse any of the same characters or anything? Oh, there's one very, very minor character that I like to reuse. Uh -huh. I see some innocent young woman that pops up every once in a while in each of the books. She's not a, really a main character. I just had fun using her every once in a while when kind of I needed an innocent victim or something. And yeah. But the three novels are standalone. They, they're not really related. The stories are completely different in all three. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really into writing a series or anything like that. Okay. 
when you sit down, you say you you have a, a process that you use. Do you I mean do you actually outline, or do you take each story and and figure out where they're going to tie together, or how, how do you? Yeah, I found that I really do have to outline in order to make because it's so difficult to try to bring all this stuff in the first four parts together in the last part unless you outline it really well. Yeah. To make sure things happen when they're supposed to happen, and but it's it's not really an intense outline, so mm-hmm. I have a lot of movement. It just tells me what I have to put into each part in order to make it work at the end. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, how's your short story process different from that? Because I know you, you're a prolific short story writer as well. Yeah, when you get an idea for to write anything, at least in to me, I know right away whether this is just a short story and isn't going to go really past a few thousand words, or whether I can develop it into something longer. So it's good that I, these anthologies are out here because I have fun writing some of the short stories. And I think short stories are harder to write, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a little writing group. We get together every couple weeks, and we had a conversation about poetry the other day. And I said, I have a really, really hard time with poetry because it's so condensed. Every word has to really mean something. Mm -hmm. And when you're writing a good book or a good short story, obviously every word still needs to mean something. But I think when you get into a short story, you have a little bit more room to play. And of course, when you get into a novel, you can kind of experiment and do a lot more things because your readers along for a ride. They, They pick up something that's an inch thick and they're like, okay, I'm here for this inch. But when you have a short story, I think it's it's a little more difficult because your story arc has to wrap up at the end. Yes. And you need to know where you're going the whole way through. And you know, as well as I do, you've, I'm sure you've read some anthologies where yeah. these writers, they just don't end the stories. They don't have a decent ending. It's just like they let things... They'll say, oh, it ended or whatever, mm-hmm. but they won't really have a strong ending to it. And it's like... Um, like you said, it is harder to write. It's harder to write well, Yeah. but a lot of people do write short stories, but that doesn't mean they have all the elements in there that they need to make it a, a fun reading experience. Yeah, and that, and I agree with you there, because we, we talked a little bit about that with sometimes uh, episodic television, where you get very invested in a character or very invested in a show, and then they end it, and you kind of feel cheated or robbed a little bit, because it's like, oh, well, you didn't tie up any of this other stuff that's going on. I think that's the, the biggest thing to an ending is to, to make sure that you tie up enough for your reader that they don't feel like they're cheated. I mean, I like surprise endings. I like endings that don't necessarily 100% tie into the story. But when you go back for a second read through, you're like, oh, all of the signals yeah. are kind of there. Those are always interesting stories to me. Yeah, I always go for the surprise ending rather than the shocking or anything else. I just want to yeah. surprise the reader, hey, you weren't expecting it to end this way. And right. sometimes when it doesn't end the way they want, they kind of get upset over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I kind of like the fact that there's not always a happy ending because I think we're conditioned as a people to look for that happy ending. And if you go back to original storytelling, like when people would tell it sitting around the campfire and story were more of a cautionary tale type of thing, the happy ending didn't always happen. In fact, it usually didn't. Mm-hmm. There was happiness. There was also something sour that went with it. And I think that's like yeah. life. You know, you take the good with the bad. Yeah, Grimm's fairy tales didn't have happy endings until Disney. <laughs> until Disney got a hold of them. But, uh, speaking of endings, yeah. uh, people getting upset. Hellhole seems to be, and it was my the middle book that I wrote. It sells the most. Yeah. It's the most popular, and it's also the most despised by some folks. Really? Just because the, 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 the ending, ending is not what they, they expect? Yeah, it's really not what they expect because the ending in Hellhole is kind of like a punchline. No. And uh, it has to do with a vampire and, and all that. And I was at a convention. It's called ShockaCon. It's held every year in Charleston, West Virginia. And it's around Halloween and it's for horror. Mm-hmm. 
and I stepped away from table, which, you know, I, I man the table with Burning Ball Publishing. And okay. I work with uh, Gary Vincent. And I stepped away from the table and left him there, as, as I'm wont to do very often. And uh, But when I got back this one time, he said, somebody was just here, and he was just ranting and raving, and he just hated Hellhole, West Virginia. <laughs> he said he, he read the ending, and he got so mad that he threw the book across the room. <laughs> well, you reached him. You caused an emotional reaction. <laughs> so, so eventually, these are small conventions, so yeah. he, he walked around again, and Gary called him over and said, hey, I want you to meet the guy that wrote Hellhole. And, and I said, I heard you were kind of disappointed in the ending. And, of course, he softened up a bit there. And, and, <laughs> but he said, well, I just expected there to be this epic battle between the, the, the woman and the vampire mm-hmm. and trying to kill him and all that. And I said, there was a running joke all through the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, character keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And I wanted to use it as, as in the ending also. And I said, the ending is just a, a punchline to a joke, to yeah. a 62,000 word joke. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that. I mean, you have a lot of stuff in here. I mean, you got uh, you got uh, government agencies, you got uh, mythical creatures. It runs the gamut. So I think there's something in there to interest a lot of different readers. Yeah, Hellhole covers a lot of West Virginia folklore. Yeah, so specifically, Mothman. the whole second part is about the Mothman, which fascinates everybody. So if you're into West Virginia folklore, the Mothman, the one you probably want to read is the Hellhole, West Virginia. Yeah. Whereas Lumberjack is really a satire on slasher movies, and with the Manacled, I went more towards the humor side of it and of course all three books have a lot of humor in it but i, yeah. I really wanted to explore the humor angle more in the manacle and uh, it, that of course takes place at the west virginia state penitentiary so another instance where taking the tour of the west virginia state penitentiary in moundsville gets your mind thinking of you know what can i write to take place in this prison that'd be neat so i thought what if, because I heard that you can rent out the whole prison. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And Lock have, up all your friends. Yeah, and have a ghost hunt or, you know, if, if you're into tracking ghosts and spirits and things. And I thought, well, what if two filmmakers that, are, that make porno movies, what if they said they wanted to rent it to make a documentary on ghosts or whether it's haunted or not? And mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that really what they want to do is make a porno movie in the prison. <laughs> Of course, once they get in there and start rolling, they find out that they end up making a movie about the paranormal anyway. Ah, there you go. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have some more questions for Rich Bottles Jr. back with Rich Bottles Jr. And we were having a conversation about his method of writing and uh, some of the books that he's had published. 
And I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit, Rich, about what some of your thoughts are. And you kind of mentioned this earlier, because I know you work with a smaller publishing house. And I think that's opened up the doors for a lot of folks to get their ideas out there. And I see self-publishing and small press publishing as a positive and a negative. And I think you'll probably agree because there's a lot of crap out there now with the self-published thing. And what irritates me the most about self-publishing are the people that are like, well, I just finished a book on Friday and I'm publishing it on Saturday. And there's no editing in it. There's no work that goes into it. And I think that you're really doing the industry and yourself a disservice if you're a writer that does that. (laughs) But I see also a change, too, where there are people that are self-published that are conscientious about it. You have your beta readers and you have, you know, you maybe you pay to get yourself an editor that'll sit down and edit your stuff for you. And I think that's the smart thing to do and also get yourself a book designer. Um, But I know what you did was you went with a, a smaller press publisher. So what are some of your thoughts on how that works now and what you think the future is going to be? Well, I published through a small independent publisher called Burning Bow Publishing, and it's out of West Virginia. And it's basically a co-op. It's uh, the main people in it is Gary Lee Vincent. He basically runs Burning Bow Publishing. But we call it a co-op because what we do is when we write a book, we use the other members that we've published novels and books by and mm-hmm. we use those as a venue that, that they can proofread and mm-hmm. you know look at the copy to see if there's any holes or anything that right so we bounce it off them we let them read it we let countless people read the books and proofread them mm-hmm. before we send it out so we don't have the big payment for a proofreader and okay sometimes uh, that still might be the best way to go because sometimes the people read it more for pleasure rather than trying to actually look for errors <laughs> but and i'm trying to be very conscientious on mine i I go through three or four proofs, mm-hmm. and if uh, there's mistakes, I send it back through. And uh, I even read the thing backwards. I don't know if you ever heard of people I've, reading. Yes, I took a year and a half off a couple of years ago, and I worked as a copywriter. And the, the idea behind that was, is I was going to have tons of time to write my novel and my short stories, which actually turned out not to be true. But that's one of the t- tricks that I learned when I was writing articles for the newspaper and for trade publications and magazines and such. Because I was the only one that was reading my work before I submitted it, I would actually read it backwards, and, and that's a, I think that's a great technique. I caught a lot of things that way. Yeah, it's tedious, and you're reading every sentence from the back to the front, but you do catch things that way because your mind isn't in that mode where you know what's coming. Right, uh, and it helps out a lot that way. And uh, Gary Vincent's uh, very good with designing covers, and, uh, and we use. So did he do your cover designs yes. for all three of those? Yeah. Cool. Um, we work together we look through some of the stock photo sites mm-hmm. and then we manipulate those with photoshop and to bring out what we want it to look like gotcha and uh they do stand out i think and that's an important thing if you're publishing something yourself like through a service like create space they have stock covers you can use but you don't really want to use those no and you don't really <laughs> you want, want something use unique your own artwork or something like that you want a cover to get somebody interested in picking up the book and looking at the back cover to see what it's about you've got to make that jump there and some people may shy away from some of the covers since there's some nudity on my covers but they kind of reflect what's in the book though so you can't really read the book and complain that there's too much sex in it or something (laughs) although people do so that's always funny to me and you're right i mean i think that you know when you look at the covers, you should know kind of what you're getting yourself into. And if you're not, you can turn the book over and read the back of the book. And uh, what does it say on this one here? 
Warning, it is anticipated that the excessive levels of graphic sex and gratuitous violence expressed in this work may cause it to be banned or burned. The publisher recommends that book burners wear fire-resistant clothing. Yeah. So uh, it's humorous. It's tongue-in-cheek. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you don't want... You don't want your you don't want the people that are not your audience to read your book. Mm-hmm. My co-host and I talked a little bit about this when we were conceptualizing what we were going to do for the podcast, mm-hmm. and we don't want to be what we're not. If we go a direction where it's not us, it'll work for a while, but we're going to end up hating it. You, you have to be comfortable, and you have to do what you love because there's a niche for everybody out there, and I think trying to please all of the people pleases none of the people yeah along those lines uh burning ball publishing has been able to publish two books by this uh nigerian his name's wolvery that's uh w-o-l-v-r-i-e-y he writes in the bizarro genre and he's uh one of the best that there is and we're very honored that he trusts us to to publish his books but what he likes to do is, if I don't know if you're familiar with Goodreads, you probably are. Yeah. Uh, there's a book reads giveaways, and Wolverine likes us to to give away like a dozen books. Mm-hmm. The problem there is, and he doesn't seem to mind this, and, uh, <laughs> is that a lot of people go to that giveaway area and they just say they put their name in for the giveaway, no matter what the book is. Right. I mean, we write in the description. You're not going to like this if, if you're in any way squeamish about sex and things like that. Right. You, you just might as well not even put your name in. You won't like this book. Mm-hmm. Of course, they put their name in anyway. <laughs> and they feel obligated to review it. And, of course, they review it and say it's like the most disgusting thing they've ever read and, you know, they couldn't get past the 200th page or something like that. <laughs> well, then why do they wait until 200 to put the book down? Uh, well, actually, the the latest Wolvery book is called Boston Posh, and it's uh-huh. it's a hundred twenty some thousand words. It's like five hundred pages. It's like this epic bizarro, and usually bizarro works and novels are usually short, but this this thing is is an epic's tale, and uh, we knew there might be some problems there, and uh, <laughs> with the giveaways, and, and usually there is, but he isn't bothered by bad reviews, and yeah. I think a lot of writers really don't. I mean, when I see a bad review of my stuff, it, you can usually tell right away they just didn't understand it, like yes. West Virginia. But they still bought the book, and they have the right to their opinion, and yeah. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> so we had we have uh, Dr. Towers on uh, on occasion. We had him on for a few episodes recently, and we've visited his show. And uh, one of the statements that he made is something that I've I've felt for a long time. But he, he made this statement, uh, and we're talking about being offended by things and he's like you know that's not even a statement when you say you're offended it means nothing and it carries nothing it just means that and he didn't go this far with it but i knew what he was saying which is if you're offended by something you don't get it it's not your taste and you have the option of walking away from it what i always have a problem with is people that crusade against something that they're offended by because hey you know what there's an audience out there for it if you don't like it go the other way just because i don't like your religious beliefs or your ideas doesn't mean that i have the right to try to impose mine upon you of course if you're a professional book reviewer a movie reviewer yeah you take the job differently and you have like the right perspective Mm -hmm. you may not like horror movies if you're a a movie reviewer but Mm -hmm. if something's popular you go to it and do a review you don't say well i don't like it because it was a horror movie yeah you say you don't like it because the actors did not act or there was plot holes or something like that but uh on goodreads you see a lot of that where 
I'm giving it one star just because it's not the young adult that yep. fiction that I'm used to reading. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, if it's not for you, it's not for you. You need to, and I think that's what a lot of amateur reviewers miss when they're reviewing something is you're not reviewing whether you like the work for the work. You're reviewing why you like the work or why you don't. What worked, what didn't work. You're trying to relay on to people who may like that type of stuff exactly. whether they'll like it or not. Well, speaking of some reviews, would you like to hear some for uh, absolutely. Hellhole, West Virginia? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Like I said, Hellhole seems to be the book that people either love or hate, but outsells the other two. Yeah. Um, here's one from Jennifer. These are all from Amazon. And she titled it Trash. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you have a great sense of humor, Rich. That's awesome. Yeah. I love reading books that mention West Virginia, but this is a nothing read. I bought it and then couldn't get interested in, in reading it. I read about five chapters and shut it down. <laughs> of course, as I explained to you, last <laughs> time, there is only five, five chapters. chapters. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, you know, like, like we said earlier, there's a niche for everything out there. You know, I mean, how the Twilight books sell and people like those. I'm not a big fan, but I mean, who am I to say that that's not the right type of book for that particular age group and that particular interest? I can make fun of it because for me, it's not something that I enjoy. And I can say, well, you know, I think that Stephen King's Salem Lot is a much better vampire mm -hmm. story and, and it has the traditional elements. But again, it's not really fair to judge anybody's taste. If it sells and people are buying it, then hey, somebody's I enjoying it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the word people like to throw around concerning my books is misogyny and I'm misogynistic. And but if they really understood the books, each of those three novels that I have out, and the fourth one too, they all deal with a very strong female who who beats all the odds and and perseveres at the end. Right. But they just don't get that because of all the sex and violence in the books. Yeah. You know? Now, you said you, you've wanted to write for a long time, and I'm assuming that that means you probably have written for a long time. You probably have, mm -hmm. you know, stories and notebooks full of stuff that you never but put I out have, there. Yeah, I've got I've got ideas for quite a few novels to come, and it's just a matter of time right. to, to get sit down and work them out and figure out where I want to go with them. How did you develop or get to the point, and I think this is a struggle for a lot of new writers, how did you get to the point and develop your, your voice and realize when you actually had found your voice? I think just the, the matter of working out the first novel, The Blumberjack, uh, and it was such just so much fun writing that I knew that at that point I wanted to keep writing. I wanted to keep writing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's probably what I will continue to write. I've written other things in the past. Uh, I, I write a newsletter for uh, a hobby organization here around Pittsburgh that uh, mm -hmm. collects tokens. Um, and I've done that since the early 80s, just a, a hobby, and I yeah. published the journal. And, and like I said, I write during the day, I write technical yeah. technical documents. And so I, I think I found what I really enjoy doing, and, and I hope to be able to continue doing that. Great. There's definitely some strong sci-fi elements there. I mean, are you a sci-fi fan? I like science fiction when it takes place like on the earth i don't get so much into the space science fiction mm -hmm. except I, like 2001 space odyssey yeah. but uh, but i like the clockwork orange type stuff that okay. takes place uh, here and uh, so sci-fi like element that. but that definite element of strange well, yeah, yeah. who are some of your who are some of your big influences i know you mentioned david lynch yeah um, growing up uh, like I, I said i went to like broadcast journalism school mm -hmm. so i I got into wanting to write for newspapers and things, mainly from reading uh, Hunter S. Thompson. So he's, he's, he's a, a guy that comes up a lot on this show. The main guy in when I was growing up reading uh, 
also like uh, Vladimir Nabokov, uh-huh. uh, Lolita. My daughter's name is Lolita, by the way. Okay. Literary reference there. Um, <laughs> Anthony Burgess, of course, Clockwork Orange, and he writes a lot of science fiction and uh, yeah. things like that. James Elroy and William Kotzwinkle writes a lot of strange stuff. I'm not familiar with him. Um, he wrote the... People know him from um, E.T. He wrote the novelization of E.T. Okay, okay. But he also writes a lot of... My favorite book of his is called Dr. Rat, and it takes place in a in a lab where they test animals, and it's from the animal's perspective and things. But oh, that's uh, it's, uh, it's pretty bizarre. And uh, now, Are you a fan of, of Philip K. Dick? I have some of his books. I just haven't got into... Get got to them to read them yet? But I think uh, you might like. Yeah, him. I, I'm thinking I would too. That's why I picked them up. He's. Um, I mean, of course, you, you know that um, probably what he's most well known for is uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, mm-hmm. which became yeah. Blade Runner, which is a great, strange, twisted little uh, story here on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And there was also a video game version of it that I played back in the late mid 90s, and it was based upon the story. It was. It was a side story. It took place in the same universe and. What decisions you made greatly impacted the way that the story turned out. So if you played it a certain way, at the end of the story, you were a replicant. Mm. If you played it another way, at the end of the story, you were not a replicant. So you said you have another novel in the works. Yeah, it's a horror story uh, based in an Amish community in West Virginia. I'm about a fifth of the way through it. Uh, I came across a different angle that I thought I might want to explore, so that's that's going to take me a while to work that out. But during the past few years, I've been doing a lot of short stories for anthologies, and I've enjoyed doing that. Yeah. The one thing that seemed to have been a wrench in the whole novel situation was every year, Gary Vincent and I, with Burning Ball Publishing, would go mm-hmm. attend the West Virginia Book Festival. And so we knew when that was every year. And so we had a definite deadline of when we needed to finish our next novel so that we could be ready to be, present show it, it yeah. there at the book festival. Well, last year they ran out of money and couldn't fund the book festival. Oh, no. And guess what? I slowed down on, on the novel all of a sudden <laughs> and explored the short story parts. And I really shouldn't have done that. I should have just kept on it like... The deadline was still in October, but uh, I didn't do that. And uh, it kind of shows you the importance of having book festivals and yeah. things. Uh, some things you don't really think about when you think, oh, well, let's just not have that this year. And yeah. I think they could find some sponsors maybe to still put it on, but it just it may not come again. Oh, that would and, be a shame. Yeah, because even the fourth chapter of uh, Hellhole West Virginia takes place at the West Virginia Book Festival. Oh, no kidding. And some zombies uh, visit the book festival. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask you, too, what do you think the future of small press publishing as opposed to the, the big press mm-hmm. publishing? And that combined with distribution channels like Barnes & Noble, Amazon, of course. I'm a huge, huge fan of Amazon. I buy tons of stuff from Amazon. And I have a Kindle. I'm a big fan of the Kindle. I still like the old book. I mean, if you look behind you, there's a bookshelf full of stuff there. I still do love the physical book for certain things. And there's certain things you can't get on Kindle right now. Well, before the internet, your options, if you wanted to publish a novel, is hope that a big publisher would take you, which, you know, even if you had an agent, that that's a pretty slim chance. And you kind of realize that. But the only other option was something called a vanity press, yes. where you sent your story in and you paid for so many copies to be printed, and then you got them in at your house (laughs) and it was your job to try and sell them but print demand they'll just print the book when somebody buys it and you don't have a big stock at your house that you have to sell Um, 
And is that the way that Burning Ball does it? Yeah, that's print on demand. It's, it's, we go through Create Space, mm -hmm. like a lot of people do. Okay. Uh, the trend seems to be going toward just short little stories, especially in, in erotica, what mm -hmm. we've noticed, where short little Kindle stories seem to be selling well on Amazon. Yeah, they sell for like 99 cents. Mm -hmm. And I don't know a lot about this. Maybe you do because you're more into the publishing end than I am. But I noticed recently that they're starting to do something, and it harkens back to the Charles Dickens days where they're serializing things and they're saying, well, you know, for, for $2.99, we'll give you this part of the story. And then every time I release a new piece, you'll get another piece. Hmm. Have you seen that? Well, we published a humongous anthology called The Big Book of Bizarro. It had like 57 Bizarro genre stories in it. And we held off a long time putting it in, in ebook format mm -hmm. for Kindle. And the reason is it's, it was just, it, just so hard to do a lot of the stories use different fonts and weird fonts and things and yeah. we were reluctant to do it the book itself is it's so big that we've separated it into three parts we separated it into horror stories sci-fi fantasy and erotica so we thought well, why don't we just take it in parts and so we put out on kindle book one two and three of the big book of bizarre the first part is for the horror fans mm -hmm. second one's for the sci-fi fantasy people and the third part is the erotica and uh that way it's only a dollar 99 or something or whatever it is right now yeah. but it took me and i think it takes a lot of writers a while to get used to the idea of hey you have to put this out on ebook whether you personally like just regular hard bound books or paperback books or whatever you need to do that because people are looking for it it's a huge segment of the the readers nowadays there's even a trigger on amazon that if you want to read this in kindle click yes <laughs> i've seen that yes and, uh, tell your publisher yeah. to release this mm -hmm. a few years ago it was a difficult process to do that you had to reformat and format and look at it again and see sometimes it changes commas to periods and things mm -hmm. like that but i think create space uh, gary vincent was just telling me the other day um Create Space will actually do that for you now. All right. I don't know if there's a fee or not, uh, yeah. but that seems to be the way Create Space is trying to go. They seem to want you to pay for their services to put your book together, even though we've been doing it ourselves for a long time. Uh, they seem to make it more and more difficult for you to do it on your own. Uh, I'd rather you pay them three or four hundred dollars to put the book together. Yeah. Like you can get an ISBN number through them, mm -hmm. but you can get do that yourself you can also too. Get it yourself, right. So hopefully the trend's not going that way to the point where CreateSpace may be getting a little bit greedy and uh, will want to say, if you want to publish a book now, you have to do it our way. Yeah, I think it's a great idea that they have that option available, but that's exactly what it should be as an option. If you already know how to do it and you want to control that part of it, you should be able to easily without difficulty. Yeah, here's a, an example of that. Uh, Gary Vincent, he's coming out with the fourth novel in his Darkened series. Mm -hmm. He sent to get a proof made. You know, he had it all done. They sent him the proof, and he handed it off to me, and I went through it and found some things that he could change and things. So mm -hmm. he took it back, and he made the changes. And plus, there was a word he wanted to change on the back cover. So he changed that and uh, sent it back in. There was one word on the back cover he changed. Create space. No, that doesn't meet our specifications for the cover. <laughs> well, how could it not? I mean, you just approved it. All we did was change one word. We didn't change any dimensions or anything. Right. And you sit back and you wonder, is it, are they like doing this to get you frustrated and say, oh, go ahead, I'll pay you and, and you do right. it. 
His book's called Darkened Souls, by the way. He'd want me to mention that, but... Okay. <laughs> that is a series. He has, what, yeah. three other... Actually, that's the fourth in a series. Okay. So the first one was Darkened Hills, then Darkened Hollows, Darkened Waters, and, and now he's coming out with Darkened Souls. Okay, cool. It's a vampire series. Okay. Decidedly not Twilight, right? Oh, no. This is not the <laughs> glittery, sparkly vampire. This is more the Bram Stoker-type vampire. There we go. All right, well, we'll take one more quick break, and we come back, and I have two questions left for you. All right. Hey, this is Gary Busey. When I'm not being batshit insane or out there making commercials with gerbils, I listen to the Nine Story Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We are here again with Rich Bottles Jr. And uh, we've had a great discussion on writing and uh, his method of writing and the type of stories that he writes, publishing industry, ton of stuff. So I had two last questions for you. First of all, since you're an author in the genre, I wanted to ask you, what exactly makes Bizarro Bizarro? Well, because I know a lot of people like to lump it into the horror category. Yeah, and it's not that. It's not that. There's a definite difference to it. The Wikipedia definition is, Bizarro fiction is a contemporary literary genre which often uses elements of absurdism, satire, and the grotesque, along with pop surrealism, whatever pop surrealism (laughs) really is. The name Bizarro, a lot of people credit it to Eraserhead Press, uh, Carlton Mellick III, very prolific Bizarro writer. I write a lot of short stories for the Bizarro genre, whether purists would say my novels are bizarro because they're mainly humor and horror and erotica mixed mm-hmm. in fact i coined that strange word humor horror, erotica kind of like <laughs> a, a big word there dot com by the way i did steal that address um i didn't Neat. steal it i paid for it but, <laughs> but he I, grabbed it before anybody else could but uh he like Bizarre fiction goes back, you know, even way, way back. Lewis Carroll, Alice's, Avengers in Wonderland and things like that. I think that the bizarro, that genre that we have now, takes you to a a different reality, absurdism, like the thing said. But it doesn't begin in the real world and then transform there when Alice falls through the hole or something. It actually begins and ends there. It's no situation where those... 
you know, in, in Oz where she wakes up at the end and it was all a dream. Yeah. No, this is just an alternate reality and the whole story takes place there. There is no other reality. And uh, you just tell the story like a regular story, but it has all these strange, bizarre elements that you're not used to seeing in the real world. And that's what bizarro means to me. Excellent. I always like to get a definition from someone that writes in the genre because I think when you're writing in it, I think you know it more intimately than than somebody from the outside that's like, well, that's this and that. There's a lot of classification. And, and I think one of the things that I've noticed about bizarro fiction is that it's not necessarily 100% one or the other thing. It's it's kind of an amalgam of, of different genres. And I think really, honestly, most of the best stories are that. And then the, uh, the other question I had is you mentioned that your second book is selling quite well. How long did it take you to, to develop your crowd and your following? I mean, I'm sure you, you probably have a very devoted fan base because you are in a very niche market. That's the thing you we were talking about independent publishing and, and small press and mm -hmm. self-publishing print on demand. And what uh, authors need to understand is once you have the book out there and you're satisfied with it, yeah, it doesn't stop there. You, you don't have a big publisher behind you that says, we want you to go on a book tour now and right. we're going to put ads in these magazines for you. And you don't have that. You have to go out and market the book yourself. and. That takes uh, as much, if not more, time than writing the actual book, and you have to be dedicated to that. Setting up at conventions can be costly, but sometimes it's just one of those things you have to do to, to meet people that might be interested in your books. And uh, social networking is another way. you you got to walk the fine line there. You can't every day put in a posting, hey, read my book, because <laughs> right. people are just going to block you. Yeah. But uh, you have to develop a personality on when you're you know, on social media right. that people are going to like. And like when you comment on one of your friend's uh, discussions, and it's an interesting comment, and one of his friends looks at it and likes it, and they may click on your name and say, well, who is this guy, and then right. see your books, and they oh, I might want to read something like that. Well, that's how we hooked up, was uh, through uh, Nelson's interview. And that, that was one of the goals that we had for Ninth Story this year, was to talk to more authors that have devoted themselves to the craft and, and have work out there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, that's the neat thing about the social media. It's not all about promoting yourself. Sometimes it's, it's about having fun, and you should have fun with it. Of course, we met Nelson because uh, he submitted a story for the Big Book of Bizarro, uh, along with quite a few other Pittsburgh area folks. Uh, John Towers did the illustrations in the books, for instance. Uh, oh, cool. David Fairhead was in there. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to leave some out, but uh, yeah. so end it there. But that's how we met. That's how we got in, friends with uh, Nelson. And uh, he also submitted a story for the second anthology we did, which is Westward Hose, which is uh, right. weird westerns. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, mostly with the subject matter of prostitution back in the Old West. Right. So Nelson contributed something for that. So uh, Now, his first submission, do you remember what that was? It was called Decorations. And okay. It was about uh, husband and wife during Christmas and they didn't really get along and they ended up killing each other. Nice. So he, she ended up killing him, I should say. <laughs> and then uses uh, his body parts for decorations on the oh, tree. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's wonderful. What's better than, what's better for Garland than Entrails? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's it in terms of questions that I have for you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where everybody can find your work and, and how they can interact with you if they want to uh, send you positive comments or tell you that they don't like it or whatever. Oh, yeah. Amazon, obviously, is the place if you want to see the books that I've written and the anthologies that I've done. I do have a, a website, but it basically just lists the books. Uh, okay. It's, it's richbottlesjr.com. Okay. Um, there's an Amazon author page that lists everything that I've done. Mm -hmm. Like we discussed, there's just 
basically the three main novels, which is Lumberjack, Hellhole, West Virginia, and The Manacled. Mm -hmm. um, Burning Ball Publishing also has done anthologies, The Big Book of Bizarro and Westward Hose, and uh, some of the short story anthologies from other publishers that I've had stories in. Mainly has been Strange House Books, uh, which we talked about was Kevin Strange's outfit. Okay. Uh, I've been in, uh, these are names of his anthologies, Strange Sex, Zombie Zombie Brain Bang, Strange versus Lovecraft. I bet that's good. Yeah. A Very Strange House Christmas. And the latest one that just came out this year is Strange Fucking Stories. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. So yeah, yeah. For Lovecraft fans, uh, we tried to pick up the mythos there, and mine was about the Necronomicon, for instance. Okay. Uh, if you're into Lovecraft, uh, you probably really would like that one. Excellent. Do you happen to know the websites for Strange House or Burning Bulb? Oh, it's BurningBulbPublishing.com. Okay. And then StrangeHouseBooks.com. Okay. Um, Coming up later this year, uh, Kevin with Strange House Books is going to have Strange Sex 2, since Strange Sex seems to be the, one of the popular Well, sex sells. Within, yeah. And I mentioned that I was going to be in a, an anthology called Surreal Grotesque by Jeremy Maddox out of Vertigo Schisms. And uh, Gary Lee Vincent, uh, he wanted to, he's always wanted to have a comic book out, so he okay. looked at his story from Westward Hose, and uh, we contracted with a cartoon artist, so oh, it, neat. based on his short story called The Talesman, mm -hmm. um, he wrote the short story for Westward Hose, and then I took that and put it into like a script for a comic book, and then the artist was going to take it from there. So that's going to come out later this year. Very cool. Also, an interesting thing from Burning Bulb Publishing is uh, John Russo, who had a story in Big Book of Bizarro, but he contacted us and asked us to to uh, publish his... Uh, it took him 20 years to write. It's, oh, wow. it's a book called Daily Plaza. That's the working title. He's still not really happy with that title, okay. but it may or may not. But uh, it's about a, a group of folks that... Uh, are being tracked down and murdered and i haven't read it yet i'll be proofreading it later but for mm -hmm. folks who don't know john russo is the writer of night of the living dead oh wow so, okay yeah so we're happy to be able to publish something from him that's excellent that's excellent well that sounds great so we we have some stuff to look forward to i'll put the uh the websites in the show notes is there anybody you want to say hello to while we got you on here i say hello to my daughter lolita she's uh out in the car listening to marilyn manson <laughs> Well, she's having fun out there, at least. And I told her about leaving here. I'd drop by and uh, get her wings and pizza at Pizzazz. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with yeah. Pizzazz. Yeah. So that's one of our favorite restaurants when we're up this way. Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate you making the long drive all the way up from West Virginia here to the Ninth Story Studios. And it was a pleasure to have you on. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Okay. And uh, you're going to be, um, oh, I almost forgot. You're going to be in, at uh, Horror Hound, right? Horror Hound in Cincinnati. I think it's the same weekend as Horror Realm here in uh, in Pittsburgh. But Okay. I'll look that up, and I'll put the uh, okay. I'll put the date in the show notes. And uh, like you said, links to all the other good stuff. And that is, um, I know it's coming up soon. It's like March. It's, it's yeah, like it's, the it's first or second month. week. It's in March, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, if anybody wants to interact with Rich, you can you can catch him up there. Yeah. You know, you want to throw a book yeah. at him or something? Yeah, my buddy Kevin Strange will be there with Strange House Books, too. So if you want to read some weird horror stuff, Bruce Campbell's going to be there. So oh, yeah, that's right. Bruce Campbell is going to be there. Well, yeah, if there's no other reason to go, then Rich is going to be there. You can go see uh, Bruce Campbell yeah. as well. Hey, I got one last question just occurred to me. If anybody wants to submit a story to Burning Ball Publishing or Strange House Books, how do they go about that? Go to the website. It has details on, on what we publish. And uh, that's a 
that's an interesting thing you said because I guess when you're in a search engine looking for publishers and stuff and Burning Bow Publishing will come up mm -hmm. and we get some unsolicited stuff so it's best to follow what's, what's on the website for instance uh, high schooler <laughs> high schooler wrote that he has this book that he wanted to publish and it's along the lines of uh, Tim May he was a series of second coming books do you remember that? I vaguely know what you're talking yeah, about, yes. That's, that's what it was about. So, obviously, he wasn't familiar with what we published. I mean, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> right. what he wants to publish. That's that's fine. You but, just want to, yeah, you have an identity and a brand. But we certainly don't want to take his book and publish it and then have my ads in the back of it. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Too happy. So, if you're a writer that's interested in finding a publisher, make sure you're familiar with the work. And even if you're at a convention or something and, and you go up to the publishers and you have a book that you'd like them to to look at think about buying one of the books off the table so you can familiarize yourself with it because right. uh, you just don't walk up and say here's my book i don't care about it. i mean it's not going to make or break us but show that you're interested in in the publisher itself and you right. know what we publish all right well hey again thanks a lot for coming out i know it's a long drive up from west virginia i hope you enjoy the rest of the finely warm weekend that we're having here yes, in pittsburgh God, yeah. and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you at uh, horror house You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast, a Hicks and Fabulous production. I broke it. I was promised a weird fiction story combining the more interesting elements of West Virginia, but what I received was a poorly thought out erotica story with West Virginia buzzwords attached. <laughs> the author is even so lazy that two of his erotic chapters start out nearly identical. By the way, there's like a running gag. <laughs> okay. Start out each chapter the same way, but that's okay. He didn't catch on to that. That's fine. He says Marcella, the black undercover cop, starts her story with internal dialogue about why can't this officer just stop hinting towards sex and just like let me blow him already. <laughs> which is just such a lame story in the first place. But of course, there's a later chapter where two Asian twins, he puts in parentheses, I swear to God, this story is that bad. Oh my God. But the, the characters have the exact same thought before going at each other. <laughs> they have the same thought because I copied and pasted it that way. Because I thought people think that was funny. Yeah. He didn't. So he didn't catch the humor in it. <clears throat> See, all three female characters couldn't get their clothes off fast enough to be, <laughs> to be raped or part of a submissive sex act. I mean, the first story, and of course it's not a book of short stories, but he writes, I mean, the first story is about a female cop that has to go undercover for a forced sex ring, ugh, and then has to have sex with two of her superiors to appear distraught to get the job <laughs> investigating the sex ring. How does this even make sense? 
How is forced sex erotic? It is rape. How is rape even funny? I don't know. He, he spells it right. D-U-N-N-O. Maybe I just don't have the right sense of humor. Right. Well, see, that, we're allowed to review reviews. That's that's the, that's the fun thing, is people are allowed to review books, but that also gives the author the right to review your reviews. Yeah. It's, it's it doesn't bother me. No. It doesn't bother me at all. It's, uh, and, and, and I like that because... And it could cause people to be, hey, that sounds interesting. Yeah, exactly right. You're, you're, you're going to interest the people that are interested. Because there are a lot of people out there that, that think rape is funny and will want to read my book. Well, you know, it, it's it's an old Sam Kinison thing. Sam Kinison had at one point said, you know, anything can be funny if it's done in the right way. I mean, you can take some... I mean, obviously, when you look at rape in and of itself, it's obviously there's nothing funny about that act itself. And there's nothing funny about having it happen to you. That's the way... That that I think we as a people deal with, um, you have to find a way to work through things with humor. And humor is, is a great weapon for uh, things that are absurd or awful to disarm things. And Dave Chappelle was always great at that, you know, to take racism and to disarm it by putting it out there in a, in a situation and drawing attention to the complete absurdity of it, which is one of the reasons why I always enjoyed him. He makes everybody laugh together at the absurdity of something. And I think in that you bond and in that you all see how absurd it is. How absurd it is.